growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You ever been displeased? You ever been angry at God for something He did or didn't do that you thought He should do? Well, if so, and it's probably all of us here, if so, maybe there's something in chapter 4 that we can learn about. If we could have ended the book of Jonah last week, it would have been good. If the story stops with chapter 3, we get the Hollywood happy ending version. God gets to demonstrate his grace and his mercy. The people of Nineveh get to experience God's grace and mercy. And Jonah changes his heart and ends up as a hero. But that's not the end of the story. I think chapter 4 may be a greater demonstration of God's grace and mercy because why God didn't just strike Jonah dead on the spot, I'll never know. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today we come to the end of our study in the Old Testament book of Jonah. We've titled this series in Jonah as Man on the Run. And Jonah's certainly done plenty of that throughout this book. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God. In chapter 2, he ran toward God. In chapter 3, Jonah ran with God. And as we'll see today in chapter 4, Jonah ran at God. Most of us have seen video of a bull charging a bullfighter in the ring. He just lowers his head and he charges in absolute anger at this red cape. That's Jonah in chapter 4. In just a moment, Pastor Clay is going to explain what that means. But let me encourage you as you listen to today's message to be asking yourself a question. Does the priority of my heart line up with God's heart? Or is it possible that I'm a man or woman on the run? Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. We have come to the last day of a series entitled uh, Jonah, Man on the Run. Jonah's been running, just as we sometimes can run. Have have we established that fact? Can we admit that there's times when we run from God? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one that sometimes has has that problem. You know, if Hollywood... If Hollywood were writing the book of Jonah, it almost certainly would have ended with chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, you get the Hollywood ending. Chapter 3 is, as I said last week, it's the happy ending before the ending. Chapter 3, God gets to demonstrate His grace and mercy. The people of Nineveh get to receive God's grace and mercy. And Jonah ends up the hero Because he gets to deliver the message of God's grace and mercy. But the story doesn't end with chapter 3. There's chapter 4, and I invite you to open your Bible this morning if you brought one to Jonah chapter 4. The text is on the screen as well. We're looking at a man on the run and what that means in our lives at times. Chapter 4 opens with, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. It's a narrative. It's telling this story and it it finished in verse 10 of chapter 3 by saying, when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, meaning the people of Nineveh, and he did not do it. Chapter 4 verse 1, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand as well as many animals? One of the characteristics of the Bible is that it doesn't try to hide the character flaws of the persons that it talks about. The people who are uh, in the, the book, the people that are the people of God. The Word of God never tries to sugarcoat it, never tries to hide uh, the flaws, the character flaws of these individuals in the book. It's one of the things that gives validity to the truth of this book. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God because he resisted what God wanted him to do. In chapter 2, Jonah ran toward God because he remembered what God did for him. In chapter 3, it's at the high watermark of the book, if you will. In chapter 3, Jonah ran with God because he realized that obedience really isn't an option when it comes to following God. But in chapter 4, Jonah ran at God because he resented what God did for the people of Nineveh. Now, what do I mean when I say that Jonah ran at God? Well, most of us have seen photos or video of uh, a bull charging a bullfighter in the ring. Anybody ever seen any of that stuff? The man stands in the ring and waves a, a red cape which apparently thoroughly ticks the bull off, so much so that he, he just lowers his head and he charges in absolute rage uh, toward the man, he, in absolute uh, anger at this red cape, the bull charges. That's Jonah in chapter 4. God's mercy extended to the people of Nineveh was to Jonah what the red cape is to the bull. He is furious at God for what God has done. He is angry 
Five times in 11 verses, the word angry is used. Verse 1 says that he was greatly displeased. You ever been displeased with God? Come on, ask. It's just us here today. You ever, you ever been displeased? You ever been angry at God for something he did or didn't do that you thought he should do? Well, if so, and it's probably all of us here, if so, maybe there's something in chapter 4 that we can learn about, that we can apply to our lives today. In Jonah chapter 4, Jonah prays a second time to the Lord. And this prayer is very different from the first prayer in chapter 2. In in chapter 2, Jonah prayed from a broken heart. In chapter 4, Jonah prayed from an angry heart. In chapter 2, Jonah prays from a grateful heart. In chapter 4, he prays from a graceless heart. In chapter 2, Jonah prays and asks God to rescue him. In chapter 4, Jonah prays and asks God to kill him. Apparently, Jonah would rather die than not get his way. And by the way, that's a pattern for Jonah. If you're with us or if you've read it before, you may remember in chapter 1, when God's chasing Jonah halfway across the sea... And the storm and the sailors are afraid for their lives. And Jonah says, just, just pick me up, throw me in the ocean, throw me in the water, and the storm will stop. What's he doing? You know, he's being gracious to the sailors. No, he's not. He doesn't even care about them. I, I don't believe he does. He's, it, I'm tired of this. I, I, don't want, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Let's just get this over with. God's not going to leave me alone. Just throw me in. Let's get this over with. Let's just be done with it. You ever felt that way? About circumstances and situations in your life? How come, how come this has to go on? How come, I don't understand, this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. This is what I thought following Jesus would be like. I, I don't like what's going on in my life. I don't like these circumstances. I don't like what, what God's working or doing in my life or wants me to do. I, I'm just not, I, I just, just, just check me out. Deal me out. I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. You ever feel that way? If so, you probably struggle sometimes with what really I think is the heart of the issue here. There are two hearts on display in chapter 4, by the way. God's heart and Jonah's heart. Warren Wiersbe is exactly right when he says this. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And Jonah's got a heart problem. As I said, one of the great things about the Bible is it doesn't try and disguise or mask or hide the character flaws of the individuals in it. Jonah is a man of God. Jonah is a man following God. Jonah is a prophet of God. But Jonah has some serious issues in his life. Serious issues with anger, with, with pride, with prejudice. And so he says, just, I don't, I don't even want to do this. Just kill me. You ever feel that way? The heart of the problem in chapter 4 looks like this, the big picture biblical principle. Uh, Jonah's more concerned about the temporal. God's more concerned about the eternal. I'm more concerned about the blank. Now that last blank is a very important one, ladies and gentlemen. And I do not want you to fill it in at this time. I want you to take some time this morning and I want you to chew on that thought, that very idea. But what, what is the priority for me? What, what is this really all about? Because I'm telling you, and as we'll see, the heart of the problem here is that Jonah has a focus on the temporal, the now, and what he likes and doesn't like, 
And God has a perspective, God has a heart for the eternal. And so I want us to ask that question this morning. What, what's the priority for me? What am I concerned about really in my life? Is it really about me? Is it really about my circumstances? Is it really about what I like or want or think or, or whatever else? Or am I really chasing after the heart of God? Do I, do I have the heart of God? Let me, uh, let me paraphrase Jonah's uh, prayer. It probably sounded something like this. I knew it. I knew this is what would happen. That's the reason I ran in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you would win those people over. That's why I didn't want to have anything to do with this. Why don't you just kill me and get this over with? That's really what Jonah's prayer is. I hadn't really thought about it until I was really working on this text. But I think chapter 4 may be a greater demonstration of God's grace and mercy than chapter 3. As great as that was, and the great revival that went on, I think chapter 4 may be a greater demonstration of God's grace and mercy. Because why God didn't just strike Jonah dead on the spot, I'll never know. And not only does God not strike Jonah dead on the spot, God actually comes to Jonah again. Now listen, he's chased him halfway across the sea. He's rescued him from nearly drowning by by having a giant fish swallow him and spit him up on dry land. He's giving him a second chance to be obedient to him. He's given him an opportunity to be involved in the greatest revival in the history of the world. And what does Jonah do? Hmm, I just don't like this. I just want to die. Hey, listen, by the way, can I say this? And we talked about this in chapter 1. Jonah had some valid reasons for not liking the people of Nineveh. The Assyrians were a wicked, murderous, vile people. You've got to decide where your focus is and what really matters. And whether you're going to follow God's heart or your own. So not only does God not strike Jonah dead, zap him right on the spot, but he actually comes to him a second time. And he asks him a question in verse 4. He asks him whether he has a reason to be angry. And get this. Jonah doesn't even answer God. Can you believe that? Huh. He doesn't even respond when God asks him a question. The text seems to imply that he just storms out of the city. He goes out and he sets himself up a, 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 a tent and he's just going to sit down. And, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to see what you're going to do. I'm your prophet. I'm your chosen people. Not those stinking Assyrians. You know what they've done. I'm just going to sit down here and wait for you. Basically, Jonah demands God to respond to him. It's an amazing display of the grace, mercy, and patience of God. And I can think of a few times in my own life when the grace, patience, and mercy of God showed up, fortunately for me. So Jonah just sits down. He doesn't even answer God. And so God approaches Jonah again, and this time in the form of an object lesson. Jonah goes out and he sits down in the, outside the city, probably out on a hill or something like that, wait and see what's going to happen. And as I said, he makes himself a little lean-to, a tent, something to, to give him some sort of shade. Apparently, he doesn't do a very good job of it because in verse 6, it says that God causes a plant to grow up, apparently in a supernatural, uh, supernaturally accelerated fashion. 
So this plant grows up and provides shade for Jonah's head. In verse 6, it says, So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah's head. And here it is. To be a shade over his head. To deliver him from his discomfort. Watch this. And Jonah was extremely happy or extremely pleased about the plant. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the word extremely in verse 6 used to describe his happiness at the plant is the same word used in verse 1 where it's translated greatly referring to his displeasure over God showing mercy on the people of Nineveh. Isn't that interesting? Do you see where his focus is? He's greatly displeased that God would show mercy on hundreds of thousands of of souls headed for eternity in hell. He's greatly displeased about that, but greatly pleased about a plant that grows up and provides shade over his head. Hmm. I sense an object lesson coming on. So, in verse 7 and 8, God appoints a worm. Blooming worm is more obedient than Jonah. He appoints a worm to go and apparently eat the root of the plant so that it it withers. And then in the morning, uh, God apparently supernaturally, more than you, I mean, it's hot enough in that part of the world anyway, but he apparently sends a scorching east wind, the text says, and, and the sun is unbelievably hot, apparently more so than even normal. And I was thinking, you know, is it, may, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but maybe, maybe God just wanted to give Jonah just a little glimpse of the hell that he seems so willing to send all of these hundreds of thousands of people to, maybe just that Jonah doesn't get it. She's like, just let me die. It's hot out here. He doesn't, he doesn't even get it. And in verse 10 and 11, God brings the object lesson home. Then the Lord said, he had compassion on the plant. For which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? By the way, that phrase, do not know the difference, more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hands, that that phrase is an idiomatic statement of that culture that referred to very, very young children, babies and toddlers, that sort of thing. So there's 120,000 people uh, in Nineveh that are, that are just infants and toddlers. Not to mention the, 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 the older children and the adults. I, I said last week that Warren Wearsby estimates that the population of Nineveh and, and its surrounding suburbs was somewhere in the neighborhood of 600,000 people. Plus, did you, did you catch that? Plus all the animals? Can you see the heart of God? Can you see the compassion of God? Can you see where God is going with this thing? Let me paraphrase God's statement to Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, you have such concern. You have such compassion for a plant that that you didn't even cause to grow. I did that. You're concerned about that plant, Jonah, because that plant met a need in your life. You're concerned about that plant because that plant brought comfort to you for some short, temporary period of time. But Jonah, shouldn't I be concerned about the eternal destiny of souls? Hundreds of thousands of souls? 
By the way, I think this, I, I think this story in here tells us something about God and this idea of our comfort. I've, I've had on occasion people who've made decisions that were clearly outside of God's will for their life, clearly unbiblical. And when I approached them about it or, or confronted them about it, I've had people say to me, well, I just think God wants me to be happy. You can catch preachers on television that promote this idea that it's all about your comfort, it's all about happiness, it's all about uh, having more money or driving the right car or, or whatever the, the case may be. That, that It's all about this idea of, of being happy. Well, I, I'm kind of thinking that the book of Jonah and God's interaction with Jonah throughout this book teaches us something else. I think it teaches us that God, listen to me, God is much more concerned about us being holy than he is about us being happy. Do you know that? Why? Because holiness, and by that I mean walking in the will of God, walking according to God's desires and designs for your life, walking in holiness is temporal, is, is eternal. It has eternal uh, uh, ramifications to it. And happiness has to do with, with temporal pleasure. It's passing. It's fleeting. Or are you saying God doesn't want us to be happy? No. I'm saying God wants us to experience something that so far surpasses any temporary happiness that any of the trappings or things of this world can bring. It's unbelievable. I'm saying that God wants us to experience a happiness that is built on joy, that is based on walking in the will of God, walking in His holiness, and experiencing this relationship with God that brings something to me that I can't find in the world. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city on which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. It's interesting. Jonah is one of only two books in the Bible that ends with a question. The other one is the book of Nahum. Strangely enough, it deals with the city of Nineveh as well. The book ends kind of a cliffhanger for us. Did did Jonah answer God this time when he, when he came to him and asked him the question the second time? Did, did Jonah respond? Did he answer him? We know what he said when he came to him the second time about the plant. Do you have a reason to be angry? Oh, yeah, I got a reason to be angry. I just, I, I, just kill me. I'm so angry. Clearly, Jonah has an anger management problem, right? Uh, this, guy's, this guy's worse than Meatloaf was on Celebrity Apprentice. I mean, he just, I'm so mad I could die. Jonah, should I have... Should I have mercy on these people? You had compassion and concern for this plant, which is here today and gone tomorrow. What do you think, Jonah? Should I have compassion and mercy on these people who have eternal souls that will live forever? Do you think I should care about them, Jonah? Did Jonah answer? If Jonah did answer, what answer did he give? Did Jonah have a change of heart? Did Jonah repent like the people of Nineveh repented? In short, did Jonah get God's heart? Maybe the more important question for us is how do we answer that question? Do we have a heart like God's or do we have a heart that's focused on ourselves? To come back to the BP squared, Jonah's concerned about the temporal. God's more concerned about the eternal. I'm more concerned about how do we answer that one? 
I wonder if Jonah ever did get straightened out. I guess we'll have to wait until we get to heaven to find out how Jonah did. But as Pastor Clay pointed out at the end of the message, perhaps the most important question for us is, do we have a heart like God for the lost around us and around the world? Like Jonah, it's easy for us to have a temporal focus and miss the fact that people will spend eternity separated from God unless they, like the people of Nineveh, repent from their sins and turn from God. Jonah's heart was hard toward the people of Nineveh, and God tried to teach him that his grace and mercy extends to anyone who will turn to him. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.